0: Uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 52. All right. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed... Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth and the child grew and became strong and was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old they went up to the feast according to the custom. And after the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and men.
1: Some people are great in the spotlight, aren't they? When the pressure's on, they really step up. Been to a Billy Joel concert, anyone? Yeah. Taylor Swift? Eh, Maybe less so. Ever watched Michael Jordan play on the TV counts as well? Serena Williams? in front of thousands of people or watched by millions more, sometimes billions more, their every move is studied and yet when the spotlight hits them, they step up and prove themselves time and time again, right? When you're in the spotlight, how do you go? Are you the type to step up or the type to shrink back? Now, I'm a fairly reserved and modest and shy bloke, so I tend to avoid the spotlight (laughs) but some people we know when the spotlight is on when someone's needed center stage they're the right person for the job right in the bible the temple in jerusalem is like center stage in god's kingdom when it comes to meeting with god and when this passage tells the story of jesus in the temple it's putting jesus on center stage in the spotlight. Jesus is the only one truly worthy of the spotlight and there's three ways that this passage reminds us that Jesus is qualified. His purity, his prophecies and his priorities. PPP, if you're looking on in the notes, purity, prophecy, priorities. First, Jesus has purity. From verse 21... On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he'd been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons." Jesus's purity is in focus here. Now, he's just a baby, but his purity is in focus through the work of his parents as well. Joseph and Mary are obviously devout. They arrange for him to be circumcised on the day required to fulfil the requirements of Genesis 17. That next verse 22 happens six weeks or so later When Mary, as a new mum, had to visit the temple for her purification ceremony after giving birth. This fulfils the requirements of Leviticus 12. And then there's a separate ceremony straight after when Jesus is presented to the Lord in accordance with Exodus 13. When it comes to purity, the first century Jerusalem temple was centre stage. These three purification rites talked about here show just how important purity was in temple life. But it's not just people who had to be purified. Did you know the temple had to be purified as well? You can read more in Exodus 30 and other places to see that whether it's the temple or the people, any blemish at all makes you unworthy of a holy God. Have you ever been under a big spotlight? Ever had to wear makeup because you're under the spotlight? I, I have. <laughs> I-, I thought my high school musical days would be the end of putting makeup on in the spotlight. But then I started TV news presenting. First day of presenting included a trip to the Revlon counter at Maya. <laughs> to stock up on foundation. Why? Because the spotlight exposes blemishes, and I have them. You try to cover up, but then as the spotlight gets brighter and the cameras get closer, there's nowhere to hide. Every blemish is picked up. When the spotlight is on Jesus, though, it finds nothing to expose. No blemishes to be dealt with. He has nothing to hide. He has nothing to conceal. Nothing that would make him unworthy of a holy God at all. The Bible goes into great detail about how from the day Jesus was born to the day he died and even beyond, Jesus was pure, sinless, blameless, perfect. His purity qualifies him for the spotlight. So we've seen how the spotlight has been turned onto Jesus's purity, but next, the spotlight is on Jesus with regards to prophecy. Center stage in the Jerusalem temple, the spotlight is turned onto Jesus by two prophets, Simeon and Anna. The first predictions come from Simeon. He was righteous and devout. And three times he's associated with the Holy Spirit in this passage. Did you notice? The Holy Spirit's on him. The Holy Spirit reveals he will live to see the Christ, God's ultimate king. And the Holy Spirit moves him to go into the temple just at the right time to see Jesus being presented that meeting with Jesus affects him so profoundly that he basically says, God, I'm ready to die now. Here part one of his prophecy from verse 28. Simeon took Jesus into his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon's prophecy describes Jesus as salvation from God in verse 30. That lives up to the name given to Mary by the angel, the name Jesus, that means the Lord saves. Through the Holy Spirit, Simeon declares it's more than just a name. Jesus is actually God's way of saving his blemished and broken people. Simeon's prophecy also declares Jesus as a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Gentiles, people who are not Jews, everyone else in the world. This is remarkable that from the middle of the temple from the centre of Jerusalem, from the centre of Israel, the centre of the Jewish religious system, the clear implication is that Jesus is for the Gentiles as well. For people like you and me. Not just for one place and one time, but a light for all people, for all places, for all time. And Simeon's prophecy declares Jesus is the glory of Israel. This is significant too. Israel is the nation God chose out of all the rest. The Old Testament talks a lot about that. Chose them so that they could display his might and power. From Israel has come all the great names. Moses, David, Joshua, Samson, Gideon, Solomon, Elijah... But according to Simeon, Jesus is the true glory of Israel. In the first century Roman Empire, it looks like Israel's glory days have long passed. But this prophecy makes it clear that those other guys were just supporting caste, the warm-up act for the nation's true glory, Jesus Jesus may be a baby here, but don't be mistaken. Jesus is no mere baby. He's being put in the spotlight as the greatest human who ever lived. And even more than that, Simeon's using God language to describe him. No wonder Joseph and Mary marveled at what was being said about their baby boy. But then Simeon continues And the metaphorical clouds start to form. Check out part two of his prophecy from verse 34. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Prophecy part one was glory, but part two speaks of division. Mary's little child will cause the falling and rising of many. People will fall because of her baby. Will these people that fall fall in shame? Will they be condemned? Will they be killed? Imagine Mary's concern and confusion this little child will cause people to fall. But also, this little child, her child, will cause rising. And this word for rising that's used here is only ever used in the Bible to talk about rising from the dead. Simeon is pointing to resurrection. Because of Jesus, some people will fall to their destruction and some will rise from the dead to life. What would Mary make of what was being said about her baby boy? And there'll be more opposition. Jesus will become a sign that will be spoken against. We know that Jesus goes on to provoke division throughout his life and still provokes division today. It's like the arrival of Jesus has forced people to make a decision about their life. Who do they want to put centre stage? Who do they want to be in the spotlight? And as Simeon prophesies, that division, dilemma, will extend even to Mary like a sword piercing her own soul. We know that Mary will have to decide whether Jesus is just her baby son or whether Jesus is her Lord and Saviour too. She's marvelled at his birth so far, but Simeon points out it won't all be smooth sailing, even for her. In summary, Simeon continues the spotlight theme. Jesus will take centre stage and everyone will have to form an opinion of him. Imagine watching a play and not forming an opinion about the main character. Imagine going to a music performance and not forming an opinion about the lead singer. Or reading a book and not forming an opinion about the main character. In this book of Luke, Jesus is the main character and either he's the key to salvation, the key to resurrection, or he's an opponent. He's an imposter. All of us will have to decide. Then comes Anna, the prophetess. It's a great blessing that women are important in the story of Jesus. Remember that in first century uh, Roman Empire, women shaped their community, yes, but mainly through their wife and motherly duties rather than their orations or their political might. Telling the stories of Mary, of Elizabeth, of Anna, and later of Mary and Martha, Luke reminds us that women are important in jesus's life and women have put jesus in the spotlight as well from verse 36 anna the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of asher she was very old she lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. she never left the temple but worshiped night and day fasting and praying coming up to them at that very moment she gave thanks to god And spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Unfortunately, we don't know what Anna's specific words were. But we know what they were about. Can you imagine what it would have been like for Anna? No husband and therefore probably no financial security but devoted to the temple, worshipping night and day, fasting and praying for decade after decade after decade. God reveals to Anna that the baby in the room with her is, wait for it, the child that will bring redemption of Jerusalem, by which she means the redemption of God's chosen people. So Anna too, like Simeon, has been waiting all her life for this moment and she confirms that Jesus is the one who will now take centre stage. Friends, if you are like Anna, looking forward to the redemption of God's people, hear now the word of the Lord, Jesus is God's salvation. Jesus is the light of revelation to the Gentiles. Jesus is the glory of Israel, the glory of God's chosen people. There's no other way to be part of God's kingdom than through that light, through Jesus. Well, we've seen how there's a spotlight on, in, on Jesus in regards to his purity, in regards to prophecy. And the spotlight now turns to Jesus' priorities. What will he spend time on? What will he consider important? His priority. If you've ever been camping or you've been to a picnic or been on a road trip, I'll bet you know how it feels to have forgotten to bring something. The conversation usually goes like this for me. Lantern, yeah. I thought you had it. No, No, you said you'll get the lantern. No, I said you want me to get the lantern or will you? And you said, hmm. It's one thing to forget a piece of equipment, but can you imagine forgetting your 12-year-old son? (laughs) And a day into their travel, Mary and Joseph realised Jesus is not in their travelling party. We pick it up from verse 46. After three days they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Jesus shows his priority. He's stayed in the temple, or as he put it, in my father's house. He's back in Jerusalem and they've had to retrace their steps. Two things we can take from this, and I want to be very clear about the first point. Jesus is claiming to be God's son. The first words Jesus uses in Luke's Gospel, after 148 verses of build-up through chapter 1 and chapter 2, the first words Jesus utters are to very clearly make the claim that he is the Son of God. That's exactly what the angel told Mary back in chapter 1, verse 35, the Holy One to be born to you will be called the Son of God but it does confirm that Jesus understands it in the same way. As a 12-year-old boy, he understood that he had a special relationship with God, so much so that he refers to God as his own father. Ah, But maybe Jesus is deluded. Maybe he's mistaken. I mean, 12-year-old boys. But Luke doesn't let this theme drop. In the next chapter, at Jesus' baptism, Luke records the words of God, You are my son. In the next chapter after that, a demon-possessed man attests to it. The disciple Peter attests to it in Luke chapter 9, and Jesus himself attests to it again, that he is God's son when he is on trial. A claim that leads to his execution Jesus is the Son of God. As we observe Jesus, he'll make even bolder claims than that, claims that he's actually God himself, but here the title, Son of God, is on view. Do you know it to be true? The second point, Jesus sees relationship with God as a higher priority than his earthly parents. His exchange with his parents shows the two in conflict Mary would be glad that Jesus is safe but she's also upset like any parent would be to find out that Jesus has deliberately stayed behind and she blurts out why have you treated us like this her agony reminds us of Simeon's prophecy that this sword is starting to pierce her own soul as she realized Jesus has higher priorities Later in Luke's story, Jesus will again put God above his mother. When he's told that his mother's waiting for him, he doesn't go with her. He says, my mother and my brothers are actually the ones who put God's word into practice. And the Gospel of John tells us how Jesus on the cross, with his mother looking on, chooses not to satisfy her own longing... Chooses not to save himself and soothe his mother's grief but continues to go on to death and just pairs her up with some other bloke there to fulfil the role of son. To look after her as he goes on to death. Mary would have been distraught at these things but Jesus is not unloving it's that he has a higher calling to fulfil. Jesus continually resists the temptation to just settle into first century Jewish family life and instead chooses to obey the will of God to live up to his calling as saviour of the world. Jesus is in the spotlight here. Jesus is centre stage. To recap, Jesus is pure From start to finish, prophecies about Jesus declare him to be salvation, to be revelation, to be resurrection, as well as division and opposition. And Jesus sets God as his priority far above any other earthly ties, including his own mother, including his own safety as he goes to the cross. Jesus is worthy of the spotlight in a way that none of us are. A little earlier I asked how you go when you're in the spotlight. All of us know that whatever front we might be able to put on, as the spotlight gets bigger and the cameras get closer, the more our blemishes will be found. And no more so than the spotlight of God which sees all. When God examines your life, your facade breaks down when the spotlight exposes everything, even what you've tried to hide, every blemish. So what can we do when God's spotlight exposes us and our blemishes? We say this, God, put Jesus in the spotlight. We allow the righteousness of Jesus to be examined in our place instead of our own faults. When you trust Jesus, you put him centre stage, you put him in the spotlight, you allow his purity to be counted instead of yours. Jesus is now your representative in the throne room of God, in the courtroom of God. And because your representative is pure, you will be counted as pure as well. When you say to God, put jesus in the spotlight instead of me you allow jesus to be your purity and you live up to that salvation that 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 prophecy that jesus is your salvation what a relief what a relief that is many of you have already had that conversation you've made jesus your representative you've made him your salvation but now You must keep putting Jesus in the spotlight. It's not a one-time deal and then he takes a back seat in your life. He's a supporting cast member while you're centre stage. Keep thinking about his purity, his prophecy, his priority and allow that to now shape your life as you live it. When we put the spotlight onto Jesus' purity... We recognise that purity is important. And so, his example helps us, strengthens us when we go through that next temptation. When you're tempted at work or at school to cheat or to gossip, you can look to Jesus' purity as a model to be followed you can strive to be more like Christ as you live a life that has no blemish anymore. And his prophecies can help too. When you're going through a test, going through a trial, going through a struggle, you can look to the prophecies about Jesus and know that God has planned everything from the start. That God has planned a victory for you and that he will see it through to completion. And when you're time poor or weighed down, you can consider the priorities of Jesus. And you can see that in everything he did, God's plan came first. Now I don't mean you have to ignore your family in order to obey God. In fact, in most cases, honouring God will mean you obey your parents. It will mean you are faithful to your children, as good parents and good children should be. But the priority is God. And everything you do should be run through that test of, does this put Jesus centre stage? Does this put God on the throne or put God in the back seat? And finally, know this. Those who are in Christ Jesus have no condemnation to worry about. The day is coming when Jesus again will come to take centre stage, to stand in the spotlight when his return is going to be evident to everyone. And when the spotlight is on Jesus, he's not just going to play a song like Billy Joel or Taylor Swift. He's not just going to sink a basket like Michael Jordan. No, when the spotlight is on Jesus, he will bring an end to pain, an end to death, an end to sin. Let us patiently wait for that day and ask for the Holy Spirit to help us now as we wait. How about we pray? Heavenly Father, your Holy Spirit moved in Simeon. It moved in Anna, it moved in Mary and Joseph. May your Holy Spirit move in us too as we strive to be like Christ, to put Jesus in the spotlight of our lives. Thank you for his purity and his priorities to deal with all of our blemishes so we now have no condemnation. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.